Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. We would not know Steph Curry today as NBA superstar if not for a man named Bob McKillop. If you're at all familiar with Steph's story, you know that he didn't go to a big name college powerhouse of a basketball school. Most schools just totally turned him away. Even his dad, Del Curry, who himself had an illustrious career in the NBA, never thought that Steph would play in the NBA or even go far in the, at the collegiate level. But Bob McKillop was a coach at Davidson University, a tiny little liberal arts school of about 2,000 students with, with its focus on academics, not sports, who saw something in Steph Curry that all the other coaches didn't. Now, he did see what the other coaches saw in the sense of Steph being only six feet tall, uh, too short, basically, and weighing 160 pounds, meaning too weak. But he saw potential in Steph that other coaches didn't see and also recognized other things about him that he had a unique perspective into. So Bob McKillop's son actually played t-ball with Steph growing up. And so Bob got to know Steph at a young age and he followed his career in, in high school, his playing days in high school. And what he came to saw in Steph was this. You could see the character in Steph, he said, the poise, the work ethic, the toughness and the, the re resilience. And he decided to take a gamble on Steph by giving him a full ride scholarship to Davidson, saying, Steph, if you come here, I think you're gonna go really far. If you just believe in me and believe in the program that we have established here, you could do great things. And Steph, you know, while he really wanted to go to a big name school, didn't really have big name schools knocking on his door, figured, you know what, I want to go there, not only because it's an opportunity for me, but because he, he really appreciated Coach Bob McKillop and actually wanted to play for him because Coach Bob McKillop believed in him. So he went to Davidson. And that first game that he played, he started at the guard position, went terribly. They were playing Eastern Michigan, and that first half, Steph Curry turned the ball over humiliatingly nine times. I mean, that was just bad. And so going into the halftime, Coach Bob McKillop actually later admitted that he was beginning to doubt his original impressions of Steph Curry, but pushed those reservations aside and said, Steph, I'm keeping you in the game, and I want you to call for the ball. I believe in you. You got this. You're going to do great things. So the second half started and Steph came out, not scared, not timid, but calling for the ball behind the three-point line and knocked down three after three after three in that second half, leading his team to an improbable victory. But even after that game, Steph's parents still didn't have a thought that he would go to the NBA. But Bob McKillop said to them that Steph would not only go to the NBA, he would become a big-time player there. They must have rolled their eyes at that lovingly. Well, later in the NCAA tournament that, that season, Steph Curry just really exploded onto the scene. Uh, he broke some scoring titles uh, and just helped his team ha uh, achieve upset after upset after upset victory. And overnight, he became a household name and a shoe-in for a high-round draft pick, all because of Bob McKillop. There would be no Steph Curry NBA superstar if not for Bob McKillop. And I share this story because I think that's the thought here in front of us today, that perhaps the greatest work that God wants to do in you and in me is through our investing in others. 
perhaps not in the flashy way, probably in ways that are not that are often overlooked as important or underestimated as important, but are are of tremendous importance. We see here as we continue our series, we're still the church going through the book of Acts. Here in Acts chapter 11, the, the latter half, we, we re-meet Barnabas. I say re-meet because Barnabas was introduced to us in Acts chapter 4. The apostles there called him the son of encouragement. And it was noted that he was very generous in that he sold a field that he owned and, and brought the proceeds to the apostles, gave it to the church. And then in Acts 9, we see that that's when he met Saul, who would later become Paul and, and really helped him in his the beginnings of, of his ministry. But we see him here again today have a tremendous impact, not only in, in, in his day and age then, but still rippling out today in what might otherwise seem the smallest of ways. Things that on the, on the surface, we might think of as not very flashy, not very important, but are of tremendous importance because he chose to invest in others. I wanna to look to his example today and understand what this means in our lives as we, as we read this text today. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 11. We're gonna be reading verses 19 through 26, but the focus is really gonna be verses 20 through, 22 through 26. So verse 19 says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. All right, here's the scene. Persecution had broken out against the early church, and, and Christians were just scattering all throughout the, the, the known world, out from Jerusalem and into, into the world. And some folks went to Antioch to preach the gospel there. Antioch was a big deal back in that day. Today, I think right now, in modern day terms, it's a little village of about 5,000 people. But back then, it was about 500,000 people in population, and probably third in its importance and influence after Rome and Alexandria. It was a big time city, mainly because of its commerce and uh, economy. But it also was known for being an amoral city uh, due to its pagan worship and practices then. But even still, many people, and especially Gentiles, that is non-Jews, were putting their faith in Jesus. And so the, er the early church back in Jerusalem heard about this and tried to make sense of it all. Now, undoubtedly, they were wrestling with what to make of it. I mean, this was a church that was still trying to figure out what to do with these Gentiles who were putting their faith in Jesus. As we talked about last Sunday, the early church had a lot of prejudice. The whole world had a lot of prejudice that God wanted to work out in them so that they would take the gospel to the Gentiles, which was his heart. That was in the fledgling stages. And so here they were like trying to figure out, okay, what do we make of these people coming to faith in Jesus, these Gentiles becoming Christians here in Antioch? And so they decided, you know what? We, should, we probably should check up on this. So let's send Barnabas, one of the leaders, not an apostle, but one of the leaders to just check up on them, to figure out what was going on. Was, was everything okay? And so we can only imagine that a lot rode on Barnabas' reaction to what he saw here in Antioch. Was he going to find things coming off the rails? Was he going to find things getting out of control? Here's what it says in verse 23. 
When Barnabas arrived and saw that the grace and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. All right, I want to look to Barnabas' example here of how the seemingly small things that we can do actually make a tremendous and big impact. First, I want to consider the importance of encouraging others. The importance of encouraging others. In verses 23 and 24, we see here that he was glad and he encouraged them all. I was telling someone this week that of all the people in the Bible that I would love to, to meet and just have around, very high up on that list would be Barnabas. I mean, this guy must have been a fun guy. He was just a guy filled with positivity. I mean, it starts by saying that he was glad. I looked up the definition of gladness, just so we, we you know have it, have it here clearly. It means to be pleased. It means to, to be delighted. But it also means to cause happiness. You have any people around you that just cause happiness for you? I mean, we love people like this, people who are just warm and constantly have a smile on their face. I love folks like that. Notice it's, it does not say Barnabas immediately got there and just started teaching them or telling them what they needed to, to work out and figure out when, I, you know, they probably had any number of issues. No, where he started was just being glad at seeing what God was doing there. But then it also goes on to say that he encouraged them all. To encourage means to give support, confidence, or hope to someone. I mean, all things that we might not think of as the very flashy type ways that we can help others, but have tremendous impact in people's lives. Do you know any encouragers around you? I mean, I imagine even as I ask that question, a name or two or a face or two come to mind. People who have the uncanny ability to just lift your spirits. I can think of a few folks like this at current. Boy, we love you guys. And we just want to emphasize here, we see that encouraging others, your gift is a tremendous value to the church, to us. And we just, we love you. We thank you and pour, pour fuel on that fire. The ministry of encouragement is no small thing. Later, the, the Apostle Paul would describe it really as one of the spiritual gifts, something that we, are, we ought to steward for the sake of building up the church. Notice in verse 22, it says that Barnabas saw what the grace of God had done. And then verse 23, he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Uh, you know what encouragers have a real gift in doing, especially, of course, Christian encouragers? They have a real gift of connecting the things that we do or say with God's purpose. They have a, a real gift at helping us see the value, the eternal value of the things that we do based on how it plays into what God is doing in and through us. Understanding our unique contributions and pointing, connecting the dots for us towards what God is doing. We just, we need to do this for others. Has anyone ever done that for you? It's amazing. It's so uplifting. It's so empowering. It makes me think of, of, of John. Just want to say thank you and hopefully encourage you. I mean, John, for all those who, who don't know, is behind the scenes helping us make do everything that happens here virtually on Sunday mornings in terms of helping the audio and the, the visual come together. He's just amazing. You'll never see him on the screen. Probably most of you didn't realize that he was back there doing it, but he does a phenomenal job, including sometimes dropping bass lines to add oomph to the songs, even though he's not necessarily on the screen. And John, you are amazing because you allow us as a church to come together and, 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 and engage 
engage and connect with one another and also help people come to know Jesus even during these crazy times. So John, thank you. We love you. Have you ever re received a text like, thank you, Tiffany, for the way that you serve in the kids' ministry, the way you teach our little ones and have such a heart for them, thinking about them individually and how you're navigating so skillfully, you know, what has to be, you know, so such a challenging environment on Zoom, corralling the kids together and putting together lessons plans and doing it. And we have our little ones coming home and saying, hey, Mommy, Daddy, T Teacher Tiffany is, is amazing and she's helping me learn about Jesus. Thank you, Tiffany, and those of you serving our kids like her. Uh, we need to be a church of encouragers, encouraging one another, helping people see the connection, the connecting points of what we do and how it relates to God's kingdom and his purposes. But here's my thought when it comes to encouragement. While it might seem like a straightforward thing for us to do, it is something that we have to be intentional about. It's something we have to take the time to do. And what this text is showing us is it's of vital importance. There would be no Antioch church if not for God using Barnabas, which is no small statement. Antioch would become the powerhouse church location right in, in a few short years' time. Up until this point, the, the main nexus, the home base of the church was back in Jerusalem, of course. Well, in a few chapters here, Antioch would be the main deal. Antioch would be the church sending out, say, the Apostle Paul to start all the churches across the Mediterranean. It would be Antioch commissioning him and sending him out. Antioch became the powerhouse. How? By God using Barnabas through something like being glad and encouraging others. We need to encourage one another. It's no small thing. Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25 say, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That last thought saying, and all, and all the more as you see the day approaching, seems to me to suggest that we need to be encouraging each other with increasing sense of urgency. And I think 2020 only proves that to be true. We need encouragement more now today than ever before. But you know what our more natural inclination is? Just broadly speaking as people, but this is also true in the church across the board, our more natural response is not to encourage, but to criticize or be negative. I mean, you look out into our world today, it's, there's so much negativity, there's so much criticism. Christian friends, we are called to first encourage. It makes me think of how I've kind of been on this journey with Yelp. You guys you know the, the application where you can rate restaurants and, and different businesses. I used to just go on there when I had a bad experience to let the world know, hey, I was treated poorly here or unfairly there. I just need you guys to know, one star. And I realized, man, if I'm going to do that, I need to be doing good reviews as well. In fact, I made a little self-rule that I would have to at least do three good reviews before I do a negative review. And I just, I find that, it, that we just need to have a knee-jerk response to encourage. We need to find ways to be intentional and discipline ourselves to encourage. 
Are there ways that you can encourage those around you to lift their spirits, to connect what they're doing to the what the Lord's doing, to be a, 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 an expression of gladness around them? These little things this text is showing us are not little, but can have profound influence. Is there a call you can make this week to encourage someone? Is there a text you could send out? We need to encourage others. One more personal thought here, just a personal illustration, just as we consider this and then we'll move on. I have found that the people I am least encouraging to, or I'm least quick to encourage, are those closest to me. Because the reality is the people we're closest to, we become most familiar with, we become used to, we get into the rhythm with, and we don't tend to encourage. But these are the people that we need to perhaps encourage the most, wouldn't you say? Encouraging our kids, encouraging our roommates, encouraging our spouses. There is a great importance to encouraging others, an often overlooked, even underestimated ministry that we can have to others. The second thing we see here is the importance of activating others. In verses 25 and 26, it says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Here's what really struck me in my study this week is the incredible humility of Barnabas. I mean, think of this. Barnabas was in Antioch having tremendous impact. He was encouraging them, but he was really helping Antioch become the powerhouse church that it would soon become. God was doing incredible things through Barnabas. And yet, Barnabas had the humility to say, you know what? I remember Saul. I need to go after him. I need to pause what I'm doing here. This, this ministry that I have, you know, my hands directly involved in, put it aside because I, I need to go get Saul. I need to go get him activated. I was putting myself in the shoes of Barnabas this week. I'm not sure I would have left that wonderfully fruitful thing to go off and find this Saul. But Barnabas was not only humble, he had incredible foresight. Saul had fled Damascus where we left him last uh, couple uh a couple weeks ago in Acts 9, because persecution had broken out in Damascus where he was ministering. And so he, he fled, you know, for his life, going to Tarsus, and where he ended up stand, staying for what amounts to be about 12, 13 years, we know from his later writings to the church. And probably there, you know, connecting the old scripture uh, the Old Testament scriptures to what he knew about Jesus now, his newfound faith in Jesus. He's probably in that time trying to figure out what God was going to call him into, what that would look like, but basically off the grid. And while he was in Antioch, Barnabas thought, you know what, I got to go find that guy because that guy, I believe, is going to do some amazing things. And so he paused what he was doing and really went out of his way to go find Saul. And you know that actually that word we have here when it says he went to look for him is actually more literally in the Greek to track down. He in a very systematic way and widespread way he had to search out Saul. Remember this was long before GPS or even maps of any kind. You know, self it would have been hard to find this guy, and yet uh, Barnabas traveled the what had to amount about 100 miles out of his way to go find this guy, really going out of his way. And then it says, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Uh, 
Barnabas was activating Paul. And we see this really in two ways. He was discovering him and he was developing him. Uh, growing up, my dad shared a story with me that made an impression on him and in turn made an impression on me. Uh, when he was a little guy, about 10 years old, I, I think it's okay to say this, in the, in the mid, mid-50s, my grandpa took my dad to a church service at First Pressed Hollywood. This was a different church that, that my dad was working for. So he wanted to take my dad specifically to this church service for the, for the purpose of helping my dad see and understand something about a gal named Henrietta Mears. They went, they sat in the service, and my grandpa pointed around and said, son, I want you to take note of this gal. And my dad remembers, again, mid-50s, that Henrietta's wearing this big, you know, colorful hat. And, and my grandpa said, I want you to take note of her, son, because God, through her, has, d- has discovered and developed the likes of the Bill, uh, Bill Brights, uh, Robert Munger, uh, Billy Graham, a few other names, which if you don't know uh, these names, uh, Bill Bright went on to found... Uh, crew, which uh, used to be known as Campus Crusade of the Christ, for, for Christ, having tremendous impact across uh, college campuses, really the, the globe over. Um, Robert Munger had a, an incredible, uh, in, was an incredibly influential pastor in Berkeley for, for a number of years, at first press there. And then Billy Graham, I mean, it's hard to calculate what God has done, that did through Billy Graham. And my grandpa said, I want you to notice that it was, it was she that God used to kind of get them going, to activate them. And I was asking my dad how that worked. And he said she, she would stay in the back of the college ministry class and just watch the students, just try to just see how they were interacting and how they were responding. And, and then she would just identify a few folks that could be potential leaders. And then she would invite them into another class where she would just pour into them and, and build them up and invest in them. And we might not be the Henrietta Mears of the world. We might not be a Barnabas, but the point of this text is clear. Perhaps the greatest impact that God wants to have in your life, through your life, is through your investing in others. Notice here that it says, for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul taught the people. Uh, That was really interesting for me to kind of wrestle with this week because I know in the book of Acts, Luke really uh, takes... Uh, seriously, the order of people that he, he names. Whenever he's naming a team of people, he, the, the order of, of the names is important. He usually lists off the, the, the person who's most important, the, the leader, the teacher, the person who's having most influence, followed by the people who are more supporting roles. Here he says, Luke, that it was Barnabas and Saul teaching. And you know, later in this, later in the next chapter, it'd again be Barnabas and Saul were teaching somewhere else. But come Acts 13, in a few short pages here in the book of Acts, we find it flipped that Saul, or actually then Paul and Barnabas were teaching. Paul and Barnabas, and throughout the rest of the book of Acts, it was always Paul and Barnabas. What we see here is Barnabas having great humility to pour into, develop Saul such that Saul, later Paul, would begin to fly on his own and really do the ministry, take point himself. What does all this mean practically? What do we learn? What what could activating look like for you and for, for me? Activating, it seems to me, comes in two phases we see here. It comes in the discovery and it comes in the development. So discovery, we can, we can think of as this phase of identifying people and their potential, but linking that potential to possible uh, a possible need or opportunity. 
Uh, one way I've heard it said is to have a, a I see in you conversation. Like I see the potential and, and this need or opportunity in front of you. What do you think? Creating opportunities and, and more importantly, putting an invitation for the person to wrestle with themselves if, to see if they want to step into that. And then the second part of the activation process, it seems to me, is, is developing. And really, we can think of this in four ways. It's, it's first, I do, you watch, we talk. Then it's I do, you help, we talk. Then you do, I help, we talk. And finally, you do, someone else watches. So to think about this by way of example, Cindy, our executive director, is incredibly incredible at activating others. Uh, whenever she's running a project or ministry to serve people or to meet a need, she rarely does it alone. She brings alongside another leader. And at first, she's really doing everything and the other person's walking and watching and then they'll talk it over. And I'll tell you, it's in the talking it over where there's the gold because that potential leader, that leader apprentice, whatever you want to call that person, will then ask Cindy, hey, I noticed that you really put a lot of emphasis on this over here and you were firm about these things and you were lax about those things. Like, help me understand, why did you approach it that way? And then Cindy will just go off. It's like, oh, that's because we're thinking about this person and that person. Why? What they bring to the table. And, and remember, we're not just doing this for the sake of doing an event. We're doing this for the sake of activating people to, to do events. And we want, and it's just, that's just the gold. And then next, Cindy will, will do another event. And this time, give a box or two to this other person for them to kind of do on themselves. So still holding the reins herself, Cindy will, but giving this other person a box or two to kind of do themselves. And then they'll talk it over. And again, they'll just, they'll really work it through and, and there'll be development that way. And then and then she'll take the role of really sitting a backseat, but really empowering that other person to really run with whatever it is that they're doing and, and just give input, maybe kind of help and this, give perspective and coaching. But, and then finally, Finally, this person is able to fly on their own and the ministry multiplies. I think this is what we're called to do, church family, in different areas of, of life, ministry, and even perhaps work. I mean, think about it from the perspective or the application point of being a parent. I mean, parents, this, this text obviously has a lot to speak into our role as parents, we need to be encouraging our kids. As we raise up the next generation, encouragement needs to be a big part of that. And I think we all recognize for, for many of us, that can be a struggle, let alone during shelter in place, how easy it is to be more harsh or critical than anything else. And, and I think we understand the importance of creating and fostering an encouraging environment, an environment of gladness. But friends, that doesn't just necessarily happen on its own. We've got to be intentional about it. And then we also need to help our kids increasingly step into responsibility, walking them through it and talking it over with them, activating them in those ways. There's a lot of application in terms of church ministry, whether you're back there with the kids teaching and there's, there's a helper who's just new and trying to figure things out, you can really invest in them and bring them alongside and share what you're thinking and why you did things the way that you did it. And then maybe even perhaps after talking with the head teacher and working it through with them, allowing that person to you know, step into it and trying, trying things on their own. And perhaps, actually, probably you could do it better than they could, but, but you're investing in them. You're trying to activate them, thinking, thinking about not just the short-term, but the long-term ministry impact or in small groups or any number, you know, even in the setup and teardown. Uh, when, when we're meeting, you could just put an arm around somebody, although after shelter, I mean, social distancing and all that, but just 
just to love and encourage people and just ask them about their lives, bring people into what you're doing. There's so many applications, probably too also in the workplace. Although of course, the main point of application here is as we look to disciple or help people grow in their their in becoming more like Jesus and serving him, there's probably opportunity in the workplace to see people and identify people, develop them, and on a spiritual sense of things, really kind of help them see your motivations, pointing them towards Jesus. There's a lot of ways that we can think about this, but the big thought, it seems to me, is this text invites us to expand the way we see the impact we could have on this world, God's impact through us. I think he wants to broaden the scope of how we see things. Because does God want to accomplish things through you and your individual and unique efforts? No doubt, I would, uh, probably. But think of what he probably wants to accomplish through you investing into others as it multiplies out. Jesus, the Son of God, did this. What was Jesus' unique contribution? Oh, you know, saving the world. But what did he do on just about every page of the gospel accounts? He was constantly investing in others. We see very early on that he identified leaders, people to be around him, that he could just start pouring himself into. It says in early in Mark's account that he, that he called them to himself and he appointed them. And then later, it talks about how he would answer all of their questions. If they ever had any questions, he would just be patient with them and help them work it through. And then, and then we're told that he, he gave them power and authority to do ministry, ultimately sending them out on their own. And when they came back, what did he do? The first thing he did was take them away to talk it over, to debrief it, work it through with them. All leading towards what? Acts 1 verse 8, where he ultimately would let them fly and release them to multiply into others, developing, uh, discovering and developing others. Look, if Jesus thought this was important. I think the point is you and I need to see this as important too, investing in others, seeing it as no small thing. Who can you be Barnabas to? Who can you be encouraging to? Who can you be activating? Can you imagine the impact we would have current family if we become increasingly like Barnabas? expressing gladness, encouraging others, discovering and developing one another. I mean, that just not only sounds fun, it's like the sky's limit because we're not talking about having an impact only here and now, but for the sake of God's glory in his eternal kingdom impacting eternity. How can we be a Barnabas this week? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Barnabases in our lives. I mean, I think just about all of us can think of a person or two who at a time spoke something into our life or had an I see in you conversation or invited us to think about things in a different way that it really led to us uh, being where we are today. Thank you for your ministry to us through people like that. And Father, would you help us be people like that? Would you help us be like Barnabas, looking to you know, express gladness and encouragement to those around us, recognizing that there's no small things. In fact, there's things that we need to be intentional about all the more as the day approaches. And Father, would you help us look to activate others, discovering and developing others for the sake of your glory and your kingdom advancement. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's continue this time of worship now through song. <laughs> 